Welcome to Jaded YA Reads, a YA read-aloud podcast for teens, tweens, and adults, brought to you by the Wells Public Library. This season, we'll be reading The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes, with permissions from Little, Brown, and Company. Chapter 20 Long after Jameson had disappeared into darkness, and the fireplace door had closed, I stood there staring. Was this the only secret passage into my room? In a house like this one, how could I ever really know that I was alone? Eventually, I moved to take the envelope Jameson had left on the mantel, even though everything in me rebelled against what he had said. I wasn't a puzzle. I was just a girl. I turned the envelope over and saw Jameson's name scrawled across the front. This is his letter, I realized, the one he was given at the reading of the will. I still had no idea what to make of my own letter, no idea what Tobias Hawthorne was apologizing for. Maybe Jameson's letter would clarify something. I opened it and read. The message was longer than mine, and made even less sense. Jameson, better the devil you know than the one you don't. Or is it? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. All that glitters is not gold. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. There but for the grace of God go I. Don't judge. Tobias Tattersall Hawthorne. By the next morning, I'd memorized Jameson's letter. It sounded like it had been written by someone who hadn't slept in days, manic, rattling off one platitude after another. But the longer words marinated in the back of my brain, the more I began to consider the possibility that Jameson might be right. There's something there in the letters, in Jameson's, in mine, an answer, or at least a clue. Rolling out of my massive bed, I went to unplug my phones, plural, from their chargers and discovered that my old phone had powered down. With some hefty pushes on the power button and a little bit of luck, I managed to cajole it back on. I didn't know how I could even begin to explain the past twenty-four hours to Max, but I needed to talk to someone. I needed a reality check. What I got was more than a hundred missed calls and texts. Suddenly, the reason Elisa had given me a new phone was clear. People I hadn't spoken to in years were messaging me. People who had spent their lives ignoring me clamored for my attention. Co-workers, classmates, even teachers. I had no idea how half of them had even gotten my number. I grabbed my new phone, went online, and discovered that my email and social media accounts were even worse. I had thousands of messages, most of them from strangers. To some people, you'll be Cinderella. To others, Marie Antoinette. My stomach muscles tightened. I set both phones down and stood up, my hand going over my mouth. I should have seen this coming. It shouldn't have been a shock to my system at all. But I wasn't ready. How could a person be ready for this? Avery? A voice called into my room. Female and not Libby. Elisa? I double-checked before opening my bedroom door. You missed breakfast, came the reply. Brisk, business-like, definitely Elisa. I opened the door. Mrs. Laughlin wasn't sure what you like, so she made a bit of everything, Elisa told me. A woman I didn't recognize, early twenties maybe, followed her into the room carrying a tray. She deposited it on my nightstand, cut a narrowed-eyed glance my way, then left without a word. I thought the staff only came in as needed, I said, turning to Elisa once the door was closed. Elisa blew out a long breath. The staff, she said, is very, very loyal and extremely concerned right now. That, Elisa nodded to the door, was one of the newer hires. 
She's one of Nash's. I narrowed my eyes. What do you mean she's one of Nash's? Elise's composure never faltered. Nash is a bit of a nomad. He leaves, he wanders, he finds some hole-in-the-wall place to bartend for a while, and then, like a moth to the flame, he comes back, usually with one or two hopeless souls in tow. As I'm sure you can imagine, there's plenty of work to be had at Hawthorne House, and Mr. Hawthorne had a habit of putting Nash's lost souls to work. And the girl who was just in here, I asked? She's been here for about a year. Lisa's tone gave nothing away. She'd die for Nash. Most of them would. Are she and Nash, I wasn't sure how to phrase this, involved? No, Elisa said sharply. She took a deep breath and continued. Nash would never let anything happen with someone he had any kind of power over. He has his flaws, a savior complex among them, but he's not like that. I couldn't take the elephant in the room any longer, so I dragged it into the light. He's your ex. Elisa's chin rose. We were engaged for a time, she allowed. We were young. There were issues. But I assure you, I have no conflict of interest when it comes to your representation. Engaged? I had to actively try to keep my jaw from dropping. My lawyer had planned to marry a Hawthorne, and she hadn't thought that merited a mention? If you prefer, Elisa said stiffly, I can arrange for someone else from the firm to work as liaison. I forced myself to stop gawking at her and tried to process the situation. Elisa had been nothing but professional, and seemed almost frighteningly good at her job. Plus, given the whole broken engagement thing, she had a reason not to be loyal to the Hawthorns. It's okay, I said. I don't need a new liaison. That got a very small smile out of her. I've taken the liberty of enrolling you at Heights Country Day. Elisa moved to the next item on her to-do list with merciless efficiency. It's the school that Xander and Jameson attend. Grayson graduated last year. I'd hoped to have you enrolled and at least partially acclimated before news of your inheritance broke in the press, but we'll deal with the hand we've been dealt. She gave me a look. You're the Hawthorne heiress, and you're not a Hawthorne. That's going to draw attention, even at a place like Country Day, where you'll be far from the only one with means. Means, I thought. How many ways did rich people have of not saying the word rich? I'm pretty sure I can handle a bunch of prep school kids, I said, even though I wasn't sure of that at all. Elisa caught sight of my phones. She squatted down and plucked my old phone from the ground. I'll dispose of this for you. She didn't even have to look at the screen to, to realize what had happened, what was still happening, if the constant, muted buzzing of the phone was any indication. Wait, I told her. I grabbed the phone, ignored the messages, and went for Max's number. I transferred it to my new phone. I suggest you strictly regulate who has access to your new number, Elisa told me. This isn't going to die down any time soon. This, I repeated, the media attention, strangers sending me messages, people who'd never cared about me deciding we were best friends. The students at Country Day will have a bit more discretion, Elisa told me, but you need to be prepared. As awful as it sounds, money is power, and power is magnetic. You're not the person you were two days ago. I wanted to argue that point, but instead my mind cycled back to Tobias Hawthorne's letter to Jameson, his words echoing in my mind. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Chapter 21 You read my letter. Jameson Hawthorne slid into the back seat of the SUV beside me. Oren had already given me the rundown on the security features of the car. The windows were bulletproof and heavily tinted, and Tobias Hawthorne had owned multiple identical SUVs for times when decoys were needed.
Going to Heights Country Day School apparently wasn't one of them. Xander need a ride? Orrin asked from the driver's seat, catching Jameson's eyes in the mirror. Zan goes to school early on Fridays, Jameson said. Extracurricular activity. In the mirror, Orrin's gaze shifted to me. You okay having company? Was I okay in close quarters with Jameson Hawthorne, who'd stepped out of a fireplace and into my bedroom the night before? He touched my face. It's fine, I told Orrin, squelching the memory. Orrin turned the key in the ignition and then cast a glance back over his shoulder. She's the package, he told Jameson. If there's an incident, you save her first, Jameson finished. He kicked a foot up on the center console and reclined against the door. Grandfather always said Hawthorne males have nine lives. I can't possibly have burned through more than five of mine. Orrin turned back to the front and put the car in drive, and then we were off. Even through the bulletproof windows, I could hear the minor roar that went up when we passed outside the gates. Paparazzi. There'd been at least a dozen before. Now there were twice that number, maybe more. I didn't let myself dwell on that for long. I looked away from the reporters, and toward Jameson, here. I reached into my bag and handed him my letter. I showed you mine, Jameson said, playing the double entendre for all it was worth. You show me yours. Shut up and read. He did. That's it? he asked when he was done. I nodded. Any idea what he's apologizing for? Jameson asked. Any great and anonymous wrongs in your past? One. I swallowed and broke eye contact. But unless you think your grandfather is responsible for my mom having an extremely rare blood type and ending up way too low on the transplant list, he's probably in the clear. I had meant it to sound sarcastic, not raw. We'll come back to your letter. Jameson did the courtesy of ignoring every hint of emotion in my tone. And turn our attention to mine. I'm curious, mystery girl. What do you make of it? I got the feeling that this was another test. Another chance to show my worth. Challenge accepted. Your letter is written in Proverbs, I said, starting with the obvious. All that glitters is not gold. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. He's saying that money and power are dangerous. And the first line... Better the devil you know than the one you don't, or is it? That's obvious, right? His family was the devil that Tobias Hawthorne had known, and I was the devil he hadn't. But if that's true, why me? If I was a stranger, how had he chosen me? A dart on a map? Max's imaginary computer algorithm? And if I was a stranger, why was he sorry? Keep going, Jameson prompted. I focused. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. It sounds to me like he knew he was going to die. We didn't even know he was sick, Jameson murmured. That hit close to home. Tobias Hawthorne had apparently been a champion at keeping secrets. Like my mother. I could be the devil he doesn't know, even if he knew her. I would still be a stranger, even if she wasn't. I could feel Jameson beside me, watching me in a way that made me wonder if he could see straight inside my head. There, but for the grace of God, go I, I said returning to the letter's contents, intent on following this up to the end. With different circumstances, any of us could have ended up in anyone else's position, I translated. The rich boy can become a pauper. Jameson took his feet down from the center console and turned his head wholly towards me, his green eyes catching mine in a way that made my entire body go on high alert. And the girl from the wrong side of the tracks can become...
a princess, a riddle, an heiress, a game. Jameson smiled. If this was a test, I'd passed. On the surface, he told me, it appeared that the letter outlines what we already know. My grandfather died and left everything to the devil he didn't know, thereby reversing the fortune of many. Why? Because power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I couldn't have looked away from him if I'd tried. And what is it about you, heiress? Jameson continued. Are you incorruptible? Is that why he left you the fortune in your hands? The expression playing at the corners of his lips wasn't a smile. I wasn't sure what it was, exactly, other than magnetic. I know my grandfather. Jameson stared at me intently. There's more here. A play on words, a code, a hidden message. Something. I handed my letter back. I took it and looked down. Your grandfather signed my letter with initials. I offered up one last observation, and yours with his full name. And what, Jameson said lightly, do we make of that? We. How had a Hawthorne and I become a we? I should have been wary, even with Oren's assurances and Elisa's. I should have been keeping my distance. But there was something about this family, something about these boys. Almost there, Oren spoke from the front seat. If he'd been following our conversation, he gave no sign of it. The Country Day administration has been briefed on the situation. I signed off on the school security years ago when the boys enrolled. You should be fine here, Avery, but do not, under any circumstances, leave the campus. Our car pulled past a guarded gate. I won't be far. I turned my mind from the letters, Jameson's and mine, to what awaited me outside the car. This is a high school, I thought, taking in the sight outside my window. It looked more like a college or a museum, like something out of a catalog where all the students were beautiful and smiling. Suddenly, the uniform I'd been given felt like it didn't belong on my body. I was a kid playing dress-up, pretending that wearing a kitchen pot on her head could turn her into an astronaut, that smudging lipstick all over her face made her a star. To the rest of the world, I was a sudden celebrity. I was a fascination and a target. But here? How could people who'd grown up with this kind of money see a girl like me as anything but a fraud? I hate to puzzle and run, mystery girl. Jameson's hand was already on the door handle as the SUV pulled to a stop. But the last thing you need on your first day at this school is for anyone to see you getting cozy with me. Chapter 22 Jameson was gone in a blink. He disappeared into a crowd of burgundy blazers and shiny hair, and I was left still buckled to my seat, unable to move. It's just a school, Oren told me. They're just kids. Rich kids? Kids whose baseline for normal was probably just being the child of a brain surgeon or hotshot lawyer. When they thought college, they were probably talking about Harvard or Yale. And there I was, wearing a pleated plaid skirt and a burgundy blazer, complete with a navy crest embossed with Latin words I didn't even know how to read. I grabbed my new phone and sent a message to Max. This is Avery, new number, call me. Glancing at the front seat again, I forced my hand to the door. It wasn't Oren's job to coddle me. It was his job to protect me, and not from the stairs I fully expected the moment I stepped out of this car. Do I meet you back here at the end of the day? I asked. I'll be here. I waited a beat in case Oren had any other instructions, and then I opened the door. Thanks for the ride. Nobody was staring at me. Nobody was whispering. In fact, as I walked toward the twin archways marking the entrance to the main building, 
I got the distinct feeling that the lack of response was deliberate, not staring, not talking, just the lightest of glances every few steps. Whenever I looked at anyone, they looked away. I told myself that they were probably trying not to make a big deal of my arrival, that this was what discretion looked like, but it still felt like I'd wandered into a ballroom where everyone else was dancing a complicated waltz, twisting, spinning around me like I wasn't even there. As I closed the distance to the archways, a girl with long black hair bucked the trend of ignoring me, like a thoroughbred shaking off an inferior rider. She watched me intently, and one by one, the girls around her did the same. When I reached them, the black-haired girl stepped away from the group, toward me. I'm Thea, she said, smiling. You must be Avery. Her voice was perfectly pleasant, borderline musical, like a siren who knew the least bit of effort she could sing sailors into the sea. Why don't I show you to the office? The headmaster is Dr. McGowan. She's got a Ph.D. from Princeton. She'll keep you in her office for at least a half hour, talking about opportunities and traditions. If she offers you coffee, take it, her own personal roast, to die for. Thea seemed well aware of the fact that we were both getting plenty of stares now. She also seemed to be enjoying it. When Dr. Mack gives you your schedule, make sure you have time for lunch every day. Country Day uses what they call a modular scheduling, which means we operate on a six-day cycle, even though we only have school five days a week. Classes meet anywhere from three to five times a cycle. Classes meet anywhere from three to five times a cycle, so if you're not careful, you can end up in class straight through lunch on A day and B day, but practically have no classes on C or F. Okay? My head was spinning, but I forced out one more word. Thanks. People at this school are like fairies in Celtic mythology, Thea said lightly. You shouldn't thank us unless you want to owe us a boon. I wasn't sure how to reply to that, so I said nothing. Thea didn't seem to take offense. As she led me down a long hallway with old-class portraits lining the walls, she filled the silence. We're not so bad, really, most of us anyway. As long as you're with me, you'll be fine. That rankled. I'll be fine regardless, I told her. Clearly, Thea said emphatically. That was a reference to the money. It had to be, didn't it? Thea's dark eyes roved over mine. It must be hard, she said, studying my response with an intensity that her smile did absolutely nothing to hide, living in that house with those boys. It's fine, I said. Oh, honey, Thea shook her head. If there's one thing the Hawthorne family isn't, it's fine. They were a twisted, broken mess before you got here, and they'll be a twisted, broken mess once you're gone. Gone? Where exactly did Thea think I was going? We'd reached the end of the hallway now, and the door to the headmaster's office. It opened, and four boys poured out in a singular file. All four of them were bleeding. All four were smiling. Xander was the fourth. He saw me, and then he saw who I was with. Thea, he said. She gave him a too-sweet smile, then lifted a hand to his face, or more specifically, to his bloodied lip. Xander, looks like you lost. There are no losers in Robot Battle Death Match Fight Club. Xander said stoically. There are only winners and people who robots sh there are only winners and people whose robots sh sort of explode. I thought about Tobias Hawthorne's office, about the patents I'd seen on the walls. What kind of genius was Xander Hawthorne? And was he missing an eyebrow? Thea proceeded as if it was exactly nothing to remark upon. 
I was just showing Avery to the office and giving her some insider tips on surviving country day. Charming, Xander declared. Avery, did the ever-delightful Thea Caligaris happen to mention that her uncle is married to my aunt? Zara's last name was Hawthorne Caligaris. I hear Zara and her uncle are looking for ways to challenge the will. Xander gave every appearance of talking to Thea, but I got the distinct feeling that he was really issuing a warning to me. Don't trust Thea. Thea gave an elegant little shrug, undaunted. I wouldn't... Chapter 23 I've slotted you into American studies and philosophy of mindfulness. In science and math, you should be able to continue on with your current course of study, assuming our course load doesn't prove to be too much. Dr. McGowan took a sip of her coffee. I did the same. It was just as good as Thea had promised it would be, and that made me wonder how much truth there was to the rest of what she said. It must be hard living in that house with those boys. They were a twisted, broken mess before you got here, and they'll be a twisted, broken mess once you're gone. Now, Dr. Mack, as she insisted on being called, continued, In terms of electives, I would suggest making meaning, which focuses on the study of how meaning is conveyed through the arts, and includes a strong component of civic engagement with local museums, artists, theater productions, the ballet company, the opera, and so on. Given the support the Hawthorne Foundation has traditionally provided to these endeavors, I believe you will find the course useful. The Hawthorne Foundation, I managed just barely to avoid repeating the words. Now, for the rest of your schedule, I will need you to tell me a bit about your plans for the future. What are you passionate about, Avery? It was on the tip of my tongue to tell her what I'd told Principal Altman. I was a girl with a plan, but that plan had always been driven by practicalities. I'd picked a college major that would get me a solid job. The practical thing to do now was stay the course. This school had to have more resources than my old one. They could help me game standardized tests, maximize the college credit I received in high school, put me in the perfect position to finish college in three years instead of four. If I played my cards right, even if Zara and her husband somehow ended up undoing what Tobias Hawthorne had done, I could come out ahead. But Dr. Mack hadn't just asked about my plans. She asked what I was passionate about. And even if the Hawthorne family did manage to successfully challenge the will, I'd probably still get a payout. How many millions of dollars might they be willing to pay me just to go away? Worse came to worse, I could probably sell my story for more than enough to pay for college. Travel, I blurted out. I've always wanted to travel. Why? Dr. Mack peered at me. What is it that attracts you to the other places? The art, the history, the people and their cultures? Or are you drawn to the marvels of the natural world? Do you want to see mountains and cliffs, oceans and giant sequoia trees, the rainforest? Yes, I said fiercely. I could feel tears stinging in my eyes, and I wasn't ex entirely sure why. To all of it, yes. Dr. Mack reached out and took my hand. I'll get you a list of electives to look at, she said softly. I understand that study abroad won't be an option for the next year, due to your rather unique circumstances. But we have some marvelous programs you may consider thereafter. You might even entertain the idea of delaying graduation a bit. If someone had told me a week earlier that there was anything that could tempt me to stay in high school a minute longer than necessary, I would have thought they were delusional. But this wasn't a normal school. Nothing about my life was normal anymore. Chapter 24 Max called me back around noon. At Heights Country Day, modular scheduling meant that there were gaps in my schedule during which I wasn't expected to be anywhere in particular. 
I could wander the halls. I could spend time in a dance studio, a dark room, or one of the gymnasiums. When precisely I ate lunch was up to me. So when Max called and I ducked into an empty classroom, no one stopped me. No one cared. This place is heaven, I told Max. Actual heaven. The mansion? Max asked. The school, I breathed. You should see my schedule and the classes. Avery, Max said sternly, is it my understanding that you have inherited roughly a bazillion dollars and you want to talk about your new school? There was so much I wanted to talk to her about. I had to think to remember what she knew and what she didn't. Jameson Hawthorne showed me the letter his grandfather left him, and it's this insane, twisty, puzzle-riddle thing. Jameson's convinced that that's what I am, a puzzle to be solved. I am currently looking at a picture of Jameson Hawthorne, Max announced. I heard a flush in the background and realized she must have been in the bathroom, at a school that wasn't as lax about student free time as this one. Gotta say, he's faxable. It took me a second to catch on. Max! I'm just saying, he looks like he knows his way around a fax machine. He's probably really great at dialing the numbers. I bet he's even faxed long distance. I have no idea what you're talking about anymore, I told her. I could practically hear her grinning. Neither do I, and I'm going to stop now because we don't have much time. My parents are freaking out about all of this. Now is not the time for me to be skipping class. Your parents are freaking out, I frowned. Why? Avery, do you know how many calls I've gotten? A reporter showed up at our house. My mom's threatening to lock down my social media, my email, everything. I never thought of my friendship with Max as particularly public, but it definitely wasn't a secret either. Reporters want to interview, I said. Reporters want to interview you, I said, trying to wrap my mind about it. About me? Have you seen the news? Max asked me. I swallowed. No. There was a pause. Maybe don't. That piece of advice spoke volumes. This is a lot, Ave. Are you okay? I blew a hair out of my face. I'm fine. I've been assured by my lawyer and my head of security that a murder attempt is highly unlikely. You have a bodyguard, Max said, awed. Son of a beach, your life is cool now. I have a staff, servants, who hate me, by the way. The house is nothing. The house is like nothing I've ever seen. And the family. These boys, Max. They have patents and world records and... I'm looking at pictures of all of them now, Max said. Come to mama, you delicious mustards. Mustards, I echoed. Bastions, she tried. I let out a snort of laughter. I hadn't realized how badly I needed this until she was there. I'm sorry, Ave. I have to go. Text me, but... Watch what I say, I filled in. And in the meantime, buy yourself something nice. Like what? I asked. Like what? I asked. I'll make a list, she promised. Love you, Beach. Love you too, Max. I kept the phone up to my ear for a second or two after she was gone. I wish you were here. Eventually, I managed to find the cafeteria. There were maybe two dozen people eating. One of them was Thea. She nudged a chair out from her table with her foot. She's Zara's niece, I reminded myself, and Zara wants me gone. Still, I sat. I'm sorry if I came on a little strong this morning, Thea glanced at the other girls at her table, all of whom were just as impossibly polished and beautiful as she was. It's just that, in your position, I'd want to know. I'd recognize the bait for exactly what it was, but I couldn't keep myself from asking. Know what? About the Hawthorne brothers. For the longest time, every boy wanted to be them. 
and everyone who likes boys wanted to date them. The way they look, the way they act, Thea paused. Even just being Hawthorne adjacent changed the way that people looked at you. I used to study with Xander sometimes, one of the other girls said, before she trailed off. Before what? I was missing something here. Something big. They were magic. Thea had the oddest expression on her face. And when you were in their orbit, you felt like magic too. Invincible, someone else chimed in. I thought about Jameson, dropping down from a second-story balcony the day we'd met, Grayson sitting behind Principal Altman's desk and banishing him from the room with an arch of his brow. And then there was Xander, six foot three, grinning, bleeding, and talking about robots exploding. They aren't what you think they are, Thea told me. I wouldn't want to live in a house with the Hawthorns. Was this an attempt to get under my skin? If I left Hawthorne House, if I moved out, I'd lose my inheritance. Did she know that? Had her uncle put her up to this? Coming into today, I'd expect to be treated like trash. I wouldn't have been surprised if the girls at the school had been possessive over the Hawthorne boys, or if everyone, male and female, had resented me on the boys' behalf. But this? This was something else. I should go. I stood, but Thea stood with me. Think about what you want. Think what you want to about me, she said. But the last girl at this school got tangled up with the Hawthorne brothers? The last girl who spent hour after hour in that house? She died. Chapter 25 I left the cafeteria as soon as I'd choked down my food, unsure where I was going to hide until my next class, and equally uncertain that Thea had been lying. The last girl who spent hour after hour in that house? My brain kept replaying the words. She died. I made it down one hallway and was turning toward another when Xander Hawthorne popped out of a nearby lab, holding what appeared to be a mechanical dragon. All I could think about was what Thea had just said. You look like you could use a robotic dragon, Xander told me. Here. He thrust it into my hands. What am I supposed to do with this? I asked. That depends on how attached you are to your eyebrows. Xander raised his one remaining eyebrow very high. I tried to summon up a reply, but I had nothing. The last girl who spent hour after hour in that house, she died. Are you hungry? Xander asked me. The refectory is back that way. As much as I hated letting Thea win, I was wary. Of him, of all things Hawthorne. Refectory? I repeated, trying to sound normal. Xander grinned. It's prep school for cafeteria. Prep school isn't a language, I pointed out. Next you'll be telling me that French isn't one either. Xander patted the robotic dragon on its head. It burped. A wisp of smoke sm- A wisp of smoke rose up from its mouth. They are what you think they are. I could hear Thea warning me. Are you okay? Xander asked. Then he snapped his fingers. Thea got to you, didn't she? I handed the dragon back to him before it could explode. I don't want to talk about Thea. As it so happens, Xander said, I hate talking about Thea. Shall we discuss your little tete with Jameson last night? He knew that his brother had been to my room. It wasn't a tete. You and your grudge against French. Xander peered at me. Jameson showed you his letter, didn't he? I had no idea whether or not that was supposed to be a secret. Jameson thinks it's a clue, I said. Xander was quiet for a moment, then nodded in the opposite direction from the refectory. Come on. I followed him because it was either that or find myself another random empty classroom. 
I used to lose, Xander said suddenly as we rounded a corner. On Saturday mornings, when my grandfather set us to a challenge, I always lost. I had no idea why he was telling me this. I was the youngest, the least competitive, the most apt to be distracted by scones or a complex machinery. But, I prompted, I could hear in his tone that there was one. But, Xander replied, while my brothers were trying to take one another down in the race to the finish line, I was generously sharing my scones with the old man. He was awfully chatty, full of stories and facts and contradictions. Would you like to hear one? A contradiction? I asked. A fact. Xander wiggled his eyebrows. Eyebrow. He didn't have a middle name. What? I said. My grandfather was born Tobias Hawthorne, Xander told me. No middle name. I wondered if the old man had signed Xander's letter the same way he had signed Jameson's. Tobias Tattersall Hawthorne. He signed mine with initials, three of them. If I asked you to show me your letter, would you? I asked Xander. He said that he usually came in last in their grandfather's games. That didn't mean he wasn't playing last one. Now, where would the fun be in that? Xander deposited me in front of a thick wooden door. You'll be safe from Thea in there. There are some places even she dares not to tread. I glanced through the clear pane on the door. The library? The archive, Xander corrected archly. It's prep school for a library. Not a bad place to hang out during free mods if you're looking to get some time alone. Hesitantly, I pushed the door open. You coming? I asked him. He closed his eyes. I can't. He didn't offer any more explanation than that. As he walked away, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was missing something. Maybe multiple somethings. The last girl who spent hour after hour in that house? She died. Chapter 26 The archive looked more like a university library than one that belonged in a high school. The room was full of archways and stained glass. Countless shelves were brimming with books of every kind, and at the center of the room there were a dozen rectangular tables, state-of-the-art, with lights built into the tables and enormous magnifying glasses attached to the sides. All the tables were empty except for one. A girl sat with her back to me. She had auburn hair, a darker red than I'd ever seen on a person. I'd sat down several tables away from her, facing the door. The room was silent except for the sound of the other girl turning the pages of the book she was reading. I withdrew Jameson's letter and my own from the bag. Tattersall. I dragged my finger over the middle name with which Tobias Hawthorne had signed Jameson's missive, then looked at the initials scrawled on mine. The handwriting matched. Something nagged at me, and it took me a moment to realize what it was. He used the middle name in the will, too. What if that was the catch here? What if that was all it took to invalidate the terms? I texted Elisa. The reply came immediately. Legal name change, years ago. We're good. Xander had said that his grandfather was born Tobias Hawthorne. No middle name. Why tell me that at all? Deeply doubting that I would ever understand anyone with the last name Hawthorne, I reached for the magnifying glass attached to the table. It was the size of my hand. I placed the two letters side by side beneath it and turned on the lights built into the table. Chalk one up for private schools. The paper was thick enough that the light didn't shine through, but the magnifying glass made quick work of blowing the, ri blowing the writing up ten times its normal size. I adjusted the glass, bringing the signature on Jameson's letter into focus. I could see details now in Tobias Hawthorne's handwriting I hadn't been able to see before. 
a slight hook on his R's, asymmetry on his capital T's, and there, in his middle name, was a noticeable space, twice that between any other two word other letters. Magnified, that space made the name appear as two words, tatters all, tatters all, as in, he left them all in tatters, I wondered out loud. It was a leap, but it didn't feel like much of one, not when Jameson had been so sure that there was more to this letter than met the eye. Not when Xander had made it a point to tell me about his grandfather's lack of a middle name. If Tobias Hawthorne had legally changed his name to add in Tattersall, that strongly suggested he'd chosen the name himself. To what end? I looked up, suddenly remembering that I wasn't alone in the room, but the girl with the dark red hair was gone. I shot off another text to Elisa. When did T.H. change his name? Did the name change correspond to the moment he decided to leave his family in the billionaire version of Tatters, to leave everything to me? A text came through later, but it wasn't from Elisa. It was from Jameson. I had no idea how he'd even gotten the number, for this new phone or my last. I see it now, mystery girl. Do you? I looked around, feeling like he might be watching me from the wings, but by all indications I was alone. The middle name? I typed back. No. I waited, and the second text came through a full minute later. The sign-off. My gaze went to the end of Jameson's letter. Right before the signature, there were two words. Don't judge. Don't judge the Hawthorne patriarch for dying without ever telling his family he was sick? Don't judge the games he was playing from beyond the grave? Don't judge the way he had pulled the rug out from underneath his daughters and grandsons? I looked back at Jameson's text, then to the letter, and read it again from the beginning. Better the devil you know than the one you don't, or is it? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. All that glitters is not gold. Nothing is certain but death and taxes. There, but for the grace of God, go I. I imagined being Jameson getting this letter, wanting answers and being, being given platitudes instead. Proverbs. My brain supplied the alternate term, and my eyes darted back down to the sign-off. Jameson had thought we were looking for a wordplay or a code. Every line in this letter, barring the proper names, was a proverb or a slight variation thereon. Every line except one. Don't judge. I'd missed most of my old English teacher's lecture on proverbs, but there was only one I could think of that started with those two words. Does don't judge a book by its cover mean anything to you? I asked Jameson. His reply was immediate. Very good, heiress. Then a moment later, it sure as hell does.